It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cartmacross Cross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cartmacross Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or cartmacrosscu.ie. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 26th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. A uh, number of people are lucky to be alive in Drogheda this morning. It follows the latest act of indiscriminate violence in the town in another drive-by shooting. A volley of gunshots rang out yesterday at about a quarter past four in one of the most built-up residential areas in the town and across the road from McDonald's Centre on Hardman's Gardens, one of the busiest shops in Drogheda. People were forced to duck for cover while one man received gunshot wounds to his leg and his shoulder. The man in his 30s is in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital receiving treatment where his condition is serious but said not to be life-threatening. It's a bit strange because about, I think it was something like 24, 25 minutes past four, I heard what sounded like five or six gunshots and I just kind of went did you hear that and he was like yeah yeah and I was like oh it's probably nothing it's probably nothing and now there's cops everywhere so <laughs> yeah kind of getting used to it right it's becoming more the norm now yeah like with money more and stuff being so close by and and there's a lot of stuff like this happening lately it's just kind of the norm now which is unfortunate but you know we're quite happily walk by it now and just go oh shit another one would it have a lot of residents uh, around here afraid? Well, unfortunately, there is a lot of elderly people around here and stuff, so I'm, I'm more worried for them and people with young children. But, yeah. Those local residents uh, speaking uh, to Marco O'Driscoll for LMFM shortly after that shooting in Drogheda yesterday. Superintendent Andrew Waters joins us from Drogheda Garda Station this morning. Good morning, Superintendent, and thanks for your time. I'm sure morning, it's a particularly Michael. busy time for you. What can you tell us about what happened yesterday? Yeah, well, just exactly as you said, Michael, this was a, a totally indiscriminate and reckless act at uh, 4.23 p.m. yesterday evening. Uh, I have seen the footage of the incident itself, and I can just reiterate exactly everything that you said. Uh, there were a number of innocent uh, people in the area at the time of this indiscriminate act. And indeed, they were very, very lucky that they were not shot or seriously injured. And they had to duck for cover behind a skip, I understand. 
Yeah, the the a number of people on the other side of the road, yes, uh, who were going about their day to day business, uh, were forced to uh, dive behind a skip and take cover when uh, the shots commenced from the other side of the road. The red Volkswagen car, uh, which had come from the direction of uh, the Lord's Church, uh, stopped in the middle of the road, and uh, up to seven shots were fired indiscriminately at a number of people on the opposite side of the road. Uh, and about right in thinking that the gunman stood outside of the shop and fired across the street. People familiar with the street will know that there's a, a lot of traffic uh, on that particular part of the town. Yeah, well, the, the, the gunman uh, literally stepped out of the back door of the red Volkswagen Golf and fired a number of shots from the centre line, from the middle of the road, in the direction of a number of people uh, on the opposite side of the road. And as I said already, uh, a number of people walking along the footpath in particular and a lot of uh, motorists in that very busy area were indeed very, very lucky that they were not uh, caught up or not injured uh, when the shots were fired. I was in the area this morning. There's a, a real sense of disbelief locally and I, I think to some degree a, a sense of fear and I gather, Superintendent, there's a, a lot to be concerned about because as everybody in the country at this stage unfortunately knows because Drata has such a, a bad reputation, this is not the first incident of its type. Do you believe it's part of this ongoing feud as it's been described? Yes, Michael. This, no, this, this incident, uh, we believe, is definitely related to this ongoing feud. And, you know, we have, we have uh, a very uh, thorough operation in place here. Uh, but uh, since we've this operation in place, we're dealing with uh, over 65 serious incidents, including, uh, you know, three, three attempted murders, false imprisonments, petrol bombs, pipe bombs. So, yeah, I fully understand and, you know, the, the concerns that are out there. But certainly I wish to reassure the public that we here in uh, Drogheda Garda Station and in the Loud Division, that we're doing everything at our disposal uh, to bring the perpetrators to justice. Uh, we have a number of the key players, I suppose, in this feud before the courts at the moment, and we have strict conditions on them. And we are reinforcing those conditions uh, on a daily basis. But that ha- it has to be said, Michael, it is a serious ongoing feud and uh, it's definitely not over yet. And the petrol bomb uh, attack that followed in Money More later, uh, was that part of a tit-for-tat exchange? Do you think it was a, a direct retaliation, in other words? Yeah, I mean, obviously that, that's under investigation now, Michael, and it only happened uh, last night, but... Uh, I think it's fair to say, yes, it, it, it can be connected to the, as you said, the tit-for-tat uh, series of incidents that are ongoing now in the Drogheda area. Superintendent, uh, are you able to tell us anything about uh, the man who was shot yesterday? Do you believe that he was the intended target? There's uh, various reports and conflicting stories at this stage. Um, I don't want to specify or go into specifics as to whether he was an intended target or not, Michael, but uh, again, as we said, there are a number of people going about their daily business uh, on the opposite side of the road, and uh, the gunman fired indiscriminately in the direction of those uh, people, and as I said, unfortunately, had no regard, total disregard for everybody else uh, in the locality at the time of the shooting. Uh, there has also been reports uh, of uh, this feud simmering over, uh, and that it's 
on the brink of boiling over uh, because of uh, a person who will be released from prison in the coming weeks. Is there anything that you can say to us in relation to that or uh, would you give credibility to those reports? Well, yes, there is a gentleman who is due to be released from prison, but uh, our our focus is in dealing with the individuals in the Drogheda district who are actively involved uh, on a daily basis uh, in this ongoing feud in Drogheda. Um, And as I said to you, we have we have a very thorough operation in place here, uh, you know, with a, a number of aspects to it, and we're using all available resources to us uh, in an attempt. Do you have enough resources, Superintendent? Because that's obviously something that's uh, been brought into question since uh, this uh, feud started to show its face and become a, a part of everyday life in Drogheda. Yeah, um, I think, Michael, for for obvious reasons, I don't want to go into uh, into detail in relation to resources, but. Uh, it's probably suffice to say that I have continuously appealed for additional personnel and finance uh, to assist in dealing with this uh, ongoing feud. Uh, and Drogheda is the biggest town in Ireland. The CSO figures prove that. Drogheda is the biggest town in Ireland. And it's probably suffice to say, compared to other similar-sized towns in Ireland, we don't have uh, as many Gardaí as similar-sized towns. So I have constantly looked for additional Gardaí and I just want to pay tribute, Michael, at this, uh, at this uh, time to the excellent work being done by my team in Drogheda here. They're dealing with extremely violent, uh, you know, unpredictable, aggressive individuals. But I think, uh, yeah, it's fair to say I have continuously looked for more personnel and financial assistance uh, in dealing with this feud. Uh, and indeed, uh, I'm sure, just to conclude, Superintendent, uh, you'd appeal to anybody who has information to make it known to you. I'm sure there's a, a lot of people who will be concerned about coming forward with information in case it has consequences for them, but there are ways that they can do that confidentially. And uh, there are some people in particular that may have uh, webcam footage uh, and dashcam footage and that sort of thing. Yes, and just in relation to the incident yesterday, uh, we're appealing to anybody who may have any information in relation to that red Volkswagen car that was used. The registration on it yesterday was 191D31786. Now, that's a, a cloned number plate uh, from a, a genuine car. Um, the car was actually stolen uh, in a burglary on the 17th of April. But uh, So we're appealed to anybody who has any information about where that car may have been before the shooting yesterday. Or uh, the car was found burned out uh, in the sheep house area uh, at the top end of the Radmullen Road. And two males, uh, we believe, ran from that car. So, I mean, we're appealing to anybody who has any information in relation to the movement of the red Volkswagen Golf car uh, in the lead up to the shooting, obviously during the shooting itself and uh, up until it was burned out in sheep house. Anybody that may have dash cam uh, footage of the incident or, you know, obviously, Michael, we're looking at CCTV uh, in the area. Mm. But uh, overall, in relation to the feud, if anybody has any information, um, I certainly uh, will have no problem in meeting people. If they're afraid to come forward and talk to us, uh, I will meet them. Uh, The chief superintendent here has met people as well. We will meet people in strictest confidence. Uh, Obviously, uh, we'll encourage people to contact the Garda Confidential Line, which is 1-800-666-111. But as I said, if they wish to come forward and speak personally to any member of Garda Sikhana here in Drada or myself or the Chief Superintendent here, 
we're more than willing uh, to meet anybody that has any information or has any concerns in relation to this ongoing feud. Superintendent Andrew Waters, thank you for joining us uh, this morning from Drogheda Garda Station. Now, Richie Culhan is a, a sitting councillor in the town and a former Garda detective. He also joins us and uh, I think it's clear listening to the superintendent there, Richie Culhan, that the Garda certainly have their work cut out for them. Well, they certainly have, Michael. And, uh, you know, as, as Superintendent Waters said, he said just that he, he was complimenting the team of Garda that he has uh, investigating these very serious incidents. And I suppose if you read through the lines and you ask him the question, you know, whether or not he had enough resources, he said that they were using the, the, the all available resources to, at their disposal. Uh, I know from speaking to Gerdy on the, for, on, on the force that are on the ground that it's absolutely, totally unacceptable, the level of resourcing uh, in Drogheda. Um, it's unacceptable even without this feud. Um, it's only acceptable, most especially because of this feud. And only quite recently, in the last number of days, or possibly the last week, uh, an assistant commissioner has instructed uh, the chief superintendent in, in, in Drogheda and the Loud Division uh, that there was to be absolutely no overtime. Um, there was a ban on... on, on uh, there was no money to be spent on any overtime. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. In uh, mm. You know, at a time when this town is facing an absolute crisis in terms of... Uh, and we saw what happened yesterday. But just spell out the stark violence. reality of what happened yesterday. You're somebody who knows what guns can do. You've used guns uh, and you've been fired at by other people. But just spell out the stark reality of a man standing in the middle of uh, the street outside of McDonald's Centre at a, a house across uh, the road with a number of people who were working there who had to duck behind a skip and a, a woman uh, who uh, apparently is very lucky to be alive this morning. A volley of shots. The superintendent said seven or eight shots. What is the reality of that, do you think? Yeah, well, the absolute reality, and you're right, I mean, I have been fired on, and I've fired on, on, on criminals, but that's, the stark reality is is that, you know, somebody with a weapon in their hand who is not trained uh, in terms of you know, close combat like that, an automatic weapon, you have, you know, certainly you have a weapon that can fire uh, indiscriminately, that will, you will have bullets that will ricochet off various uh, buildings or various items like skips and things like that. You have... You know, cars in the area, if you can imagine driving past, you have children, you know, who are out on their Easter holidays. You have old people who are living in the area. A bullet can go through a door. A bullet can go through... Sorry, sorry just one second. Okay, you've obviously uh, been interrupted by something else happening there. Uh, sorry, yeah. No, I mean, you have, a bullet, you have bullets that can go anywhere. They don't discriminate. And it was just by the grace of God, I would suggest yesterday, that an innocent bystander or somebody standing on the opposite side of the street, they don't have to be in front of that projectile. They don't have to be in front of that bullet. It can ricochet and come back. And uh, mm. with the number of people that are around, it's just miraculous that nobody was actually killed or seriously injured yesterday. Okay, well, we'll have much more on this later in the programme. But thank you as well for joining us uh, this morning, Fine Gael Councillor Rishi Culhan, a former Garda detective. And uh, a little earlier, we heard from Superintendent Andrew Waters. 
Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to Northern Ireland. Actually, before we go to Northern Ireland, let's uh, think about what happened in uh, Drogheda yesterday and what Richie Culhan was saying about how somebody who isn't trained to, to use an automatic firearm can be very, very dangerous, not just in the obvious way, but there can be unintended consequences. And perhaps that's what happened in the Cregan and Derry, which resulted in the death of Lyra McKee. As a result of that death, there is hope that it has not been in vain and that there is an opportunity to bang some heads together and to get the institutions in the north back up and running. But it's not in the interest of the London or the Dublin governments, according to AIM2. A statement from its leader, Patrick Bean, also says that there is a failure on the part of the leaders of northern nationalism, namely Michelle O'Neill and Colm Eastwood, and that the truth of the focus of Sinn Féin's political project has shifted south in recent years. He says the North has taken a back seat and that uh, they don't want to be in government in the North because it could be seen as a threat to getting into government in the South. Now, what does that mean in terms of the leadership in the North? Well, Patrick Tobin says that Michelle O'Neill was chosen as leader of the party, but not because she would innovate or break new ground, but that she would follow direction. And that undoubtedly is the direction she he believes she's been told to follow and that this has come to pass. Peter Tobin, good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Are you sure this is not a case of sour grapes? No, well, first of all, the background to, to this is in the north at the moment, there are 11,889 people who are homeless. Now, that's more than in the south, which has a bigger population. Last year, there were 32,000 emergency food parcels given to people in poverty. 13,000 of those were given to children. The north has a far higher suicide rate than uh, the south of Ireland or indeed uh, in in Britain. And we've seen a massive spike in the number of drug-related deaths uh, in Belfast and other cities over the last while. And actually, child poverty in the North is as high today as it was when the Good Friday Agreement was actually signed. So we know that there is Mm. radical need with regards making sure that investment happens and that people are lifted out of poverty uh, in the North of Ireland. Now, at the same time, you have Stormont shuttered for nearly three years. So we have a form of direct rule coming from London at the moment. The funds are, are, are reducing. And yet, all of the elected reps in Stormont are collecting millions in uh, salaries and in uh, expenses currently. And we believe in too that that's absolutely wrong, that there needs to be decisions made close to the people that they affect uh, in the north of Ireland. Now, obviously, you know, uh, one of the reasons for this is because the DUP is supporting the Tory government uh, in, in London in its confidence and supply. And as a result, we're not having any interest from the London government or the DUP with regards to uh, the rejuvenation of Stormont. The southern government, in my view, hasn't paid attention uh, to the issue whatsoever. But are, are, are you saying, as your statement seems to indicate, that if Sinn Féin wasn't so focused on getting into government in the south, that it would be in government in the north? What I'm saying to you is, and this is what we're hearing at the door, I was canvassing in Craig Avon and Lurgan yesterday, is that there are hard decisions to be made in government in the north of Ireland. Yes. And those decisions would mean cutting services in certain areas, or at least the difficult allocation... Well, there's other decisions to be made. Uh, and are you saying that those decisions wouldn't, would be made, uh, that Sinn Féin uh, would give up the idea of an Irish Language Act? or that they would give up the idea of same-sex marriage, or that they would give up the idea that if there's adverse findings against Arlene Foster, that she could be the First Minister? Well, first 
of all, they have given up the idea of same-sex marriage because they actually cut a deal with Arlene Foster uh, a number of months ago. Which well, that's been refused. The issue of, of, of same-sex marriage off the table altogether. What I'm saying to you is... Did they? Did they? Are you telling us that that, that, that is what happened? Oh, like, they'll tell you that themselves. They... They did not tie the uh, DUP down to a bill with regards to uh, same-sex marriage in the north of Ireland. In the agreements, the, the, the putative agreements that was uh, had between the DUP and Sinn Féin, and in fairness to Sinn Féin, the DUP walked away from that particular deal at the time, and Sinn Féin uh, did their best to see could they actually get it up and running at the time. But I'm just saying to you this, there is absolute... I don't see the energy, I don't see the effort, I don't see, you know... Um, Colm Eastwood and Michelle O'Neill mm. should be drawing down international attention with regard to the difficulties that exist in the north of Ireland. They should be going to the United States. They should be going to the European Union. They should be making sure that the southern government played their, uh, their, mm. their part and they are responsible for making sure that the Good Friday Agreement is implemented in its totality. But I don't see that energy coming at all. And all I'm saying, and the reason I put out that uh, press statement was... But- we need to draw a line on the Okay, just happens. clarify what you are saying, though, about same-sex marriage, uh, because uh, you were a senior member of Sinn Féin at the time that the deal was struck, if I remember correctly, weren't you? Yes, that's correct. Uh, and you're privy to the details of that deal. Uh, and are you saying that it was dropped altogether? What I'm saying to you is that the deal that was agreed between Sinn Féin and the DUP at the time did not include legislation with regard to same-sex marriage. Did it include a way of negotiating a route towards same-sex marriage? As, as, as my understanding was, it, it didn't. It, that, it didn't focus on that. So it was. Uh, you're, you're, you're telling us that Sinn Féin dropped its insistence that there would be consideration given to same-sex marriage in Northern Ireland. I'm saying that in the agreement that yes. was cut between Sinn Féin and the DUP at that time, that legislation with regard to same-sex marriage wasn't included in that particular agreement. Okay. And would aim to insist on same-sex marriage <clears throat> if you were in Sinn Féin's position now? No. What we, w- we would insist in is that Stormont is up and running and that's the... We, we actually reformed but d- these, these are so the just, obstacles. Just, just give me a second, please, because... It's important we do put out a... Oh, well, now, you, 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 you've made very critical uh, comments about Michelle O'Neill and the leadership of Sinn Féin, so I think it's only fair uh, to ask what you would do. Would you insist that same-sex marriage would be no, part... No, we wouldn't, we wouldn't okay. insist that... What about a single Irish language act? ...would be a precondition. We believe that a, the Irish language act should be part of the agreement that goes forward. Would it uh, be a red-line issue? Well, what we're saying is right now, we wouldn't actually draw a red line on the issue. What we're saying is, it is really important, Michael, that we actually get Stormont up and running. What we would put as a red line is reform of Stormont. We would seek to reform Stormont, that there would be more devolution from London to Stormont, that there would be far greater power given to to the North-South Ministerial Council, that the the Assembly and the Dáil would meet on a regular basis, to make sure that there's oversight of, of Stormont and that we actually give Stormont the necessary powers to deal with 
the bread and butter issues that are well, affecting I, I, people in the north of Ireland. Well, you and see, the is, thing. Well, the thing is, you say Michelle O'Neill is not doing her job. Uh, that really, uh, she's uh, following uh, direction from somebody else within the party, uh, and that well, she's I'll there, an and example. that she, and that she's there as a figurehead. Other people would say that Michelle O'Neill is doing her job because she's insisting on a single Irish standalone. Irish Language Act uh, and Padre Tobin has uh, given up on his principles. Well, I, uh, first of all, I've asked for Sinn Féin to discuss this issue on three occasions in a, at a public meeting and with the, the SDLP in the north of Ireland in the run-up to the elections. On the three occasions, both the SDLP and Sinn Féin have refused. Your radio station contacted Sinn Féin this morning and asked them to come on to discuss this issue with me today. This is the fourth occasion that Sinn Féin have refused the radio station's request to discuss these issues with myself. I am open for debate, uh, open for discussion on this, open to find out a solution to the problems that exist in the north of Ireland. All I'm saying is this at the moment is, there are serious bread and butter issues. There are life and death issues. There is, There are, are poverty issues. There are people's ability to live and survive issues occurring in the north of Ireland at the moment. Decisions are not being made because the departments don't have ministers in, in those departments at the moment. And I'm saying that if I was in, in Michelle O'Neill's shoes, for example, what I would be calling for would be that we would have joint authority in the north of Ireland, that the two governments would fulfil their responsibilities, and if the DUP wouldn't sit in the department in the north of Ireland under the current circumstance, that those departments would be filled with ministers selected by London and Dublin, because decisions mm. need to be, to be made. There are people's lives being lost there, the, the economy in the north. This is what the DUP wants. Actually, this is what the DUP wants. The DUP. No, the, 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 the DUP the, wants direct rule from London. What no, we the, were saying. No, we no, want, no. The DUP want to restore the institutions and then talk about it, and that's what Ain Two is saying. No, if, if, I'll say it again. We're looking for joint authority. But, uh, but, but D- what I'm saying to you is that Ain Two would make ideal partners uh, if you want joint authority because you're saying exactly the same thing as well, the DUP. because no, no, you might be missing my point here, Michael. The DUP are massively opposed to joint authority. And in our view, joint authority would be the necessary carrot and stick to get the DUP to fulfil their responsibilities and take seats and come to the Joint authority is power table. sharing, isn't there is it? No, there is no pressure on the DUP at the moment. They are in government. They're, they're actually the only party in the North of Ireland who are in, in government through their confidence and supply agreement so, with the Tories. So, so, we're so, so, so realistically, a, a vote for AIM2 is a, a vote uh, for the DUP. I am actually surprised that Sinn Féin didn't avail of the opportunity to debate it, given the circumstances uh, that we're hearing this well, morning. I, I, I don't know if you're listening to me, because I've said, I've said something four times that you seem to not understand. We're calling for joint authority. That means that the, the Southern government and the London government, for a short period of time, fill the seats in the departments in the north to make sure that decisions are made so that actually people's lives are improved. The DUP are radically opposed to that idea. I have no doubt once the governments actually implemented joint authority that the DUP would come to the table because they would see joint authority as a threat to their objectives. So like right now, the DUP are being treated with kid gloves by the London government and by the Dublin government. Joint authority would change that situation. But even even the Sinn Féin are not calling for joint authority. They're not going as far as us. They're not as ambitious as us with regards what can be achieved in the north of Ireland. And let me tell you, every door you go to in the north of Ireland, there's a, people are weary with the four major parties in the north 
playing games in this issue, not fulfilling their responsibilities with regards to governing, and still drawing down millions of euros of expenses and wages on, on, on a manual basis. This should not be like go on. Indeed, AIM2 has, has calls for, officially and publicly, for the wages and the expenses to the MLAs to stop. Uh, while there, this impasse continues. Uh, it, there is absolutely no way that people should be getting expenses and wages from Stormont if they're not willing to fulfil their responsibilities with regard to administering uh, the north of Ireland. Okay. And, and indeed, actually, Sinn, um, Sinn Féin have, have uh, refused that very reasonable request with regard uh, uh, not taking those funds. AIM2's objective here is joint authority initially to bring the DUP to the table and then making sure that we have absolutely a a decent Irish language uh, act in the North of Ireland. But more importantly right now that we have the bread and butter issues of the North actually dealt with. That the suicide rate is tackled, that the child's poverty rate is tackled. We'll we'll hear more from the governments today and hopefully there will be some solution over the course of uh, the next two or three weeks as the case may be but we leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us uh, today. Peter Tobin is TD for Meath West and leader of the AN2 party. Michael Reed on LMFM. Dozens of uh, the residents of uh, the Mosney Direct Provision Centre held a demonstration yesterday blocking the road and blocking management from entering Mosney. We just want to be heard, they said. We just want to be heard. Someone is dying in a hospital. We just want to be heard. I want to Human life is not important. Human life is not important, yeah? Someone is dying in hospital. We just want to be heard. Someone is dying in hospital. You're talking of what? Someone is in hospital. You're talking of a bomber. Boliano Mzako, a campaigner with uh, the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland, or Massey, is on the line. Good morning to you, Boliana, and uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, what was this protest about? What is it that uh, the residents want to be heard? Uh, quite a lot of issues. Uh, morning to you and morning to your listeners at home, and thank you for having me. Quite a lot of issues are experienced by people living in direct provision, and it can be particularly stressful for people who have families who have come to Ireland seeking protection as families, as the, some of the centres are untenable for families to live in. And that was the case in Mosni. A lady who came into Ireland a few months ago, about two months ago, came in with one child and two of her children followed behind her, uh, unaccompanied, and they applied for asylum in Ireland. And when she was living in Mosni, she had arrived with her youngest, a five-year-old, and when the two came in to join her, she asked for a better room, a room in uh, in Mosni that could accommodate all four of them, uh, the entire mm-hmm. family, and the management were unable to provide that. Instead, they transferred, well, unwilling to provide that. They transferred her to a different center where she would have to stay with her three children in one hotel room for as long as it takes for the Department of Justice to process her asylum claim. In Cavan, wasn't it? Uh, Which was some distance away. And uh, undoubtedly, the distance caused other problems. It caused a lot of problems because she was then unable to access medical appointments that she would have had. A child um, is uh, is being treated for an illness, and she was very stressed when she was unable to 
find uh, medical assistance in the center and then she had to go back to Mosni. When she went back to Mosni and uh, told them what happened in Kavan, that her child got sick and she needs help and she would have gotten that help in Mosni. Um, the staff were very hostile towards her. They told her they were shouting at her and they told her to leave uh, the center. If she doesn't leave, she's not going to get food or medical help for her child and that became very stressful for her. We would note that people come to Ireland already with very stressful and having uh, escaped very traumatic experiences. And so when you come into a place where you hoped to be safe and now you find yourself again being uh, uh, unable to help yourself and your children, it becomes very uh, stressful. And so the but, mother took uh, pills and uh, overdosed on pills in an attempt to commit suicide. Okay, and, and she, 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 she was the person who the women there were referring to when they said that somebody was dying in hospital. How is she now? Is she, she, has, she has since been uh, discharged yesterday, but the problem was that when she was discharged, she got back into Mosley and found another letter transferring her to a different centre in rural uh, County Leash. Okay, and there's a, another transfer, uh, the transfer of a, a man uh, to Longford, apparently. Yes, there was a man who had an altercation with another resident in the centre. Instead of management resolving that issue with them, they decided to transfer that man uh, to to a, uh, a different centre in County Longford. So every time when they have an issue with you, so if you raise an issue with them, um, they they use that as a means to uh, scare people into silence so that they don't complain. They accept whatever way they are treated into that direct providence. And so the man was given a transfer to Longford and obviously he didn't want to be going to Longford. He has no idea what Long, where Longford is. When people come into Ireland, they don't know much about Ireland and then they are placed in very isolated areas. So he's accustomed to living in Mosni. He has built a sense of community with the people who live in Mosni. It becomes very stressful for people to be uprooted then and taken to a different place uh, willy-nilly. And when residents in Mosni have a a complaint, how can they make that complaint known, Boliani? They can write a complaint to management, and I have to go in two minutes, I have to catch a bus. They can write a complaint to uh, management in the centre, and if management, if they are not happy with the man- response by management, they can write a formal complaint to RIA, and if they are not happy to RIA, the reception and integration agents in the Department of Justice, they can then forward it to the ombudsman. But the problem is a lot of residents are, 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 find themselves scared. I think one of the videos that we posted yesterday was recorded in the centre. You had the owner of the direct provision center threatening them saying that this will the protest itself will have an impact on them so people become very scared to raise any issues that they may have so people tend to keep quiet about those things to avoid such uh, situations where they are being threatened by the management themselves, uh, the owner of the tribe. Well, that that was the way they perceived what was being said, which was, uh, I, I think, uh, that he needed the cars uh, to be moved uh, and so on. Uh, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you, Boliano Msako, uh, who's a campaigner with uh, the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland. Now, we'll go back uh, to the shooting in Drogheda. As you know, uh, this happened in a very busy part of the town in Hardman's Gardens where I was speaking with people this morning. Yeah, I heard someone got blasted there last night, yeah. Yeah, what do you think of it? Ah, it's terrible, like, bad state of affairs, you know, shouldn't be happening. And, like, in this area, it's very surprising, isn't it? I mean, how would you describe this area? Couldn't tell you really, but it's obviously not a great spot where people are getting shot. I just think they're in the whole time with the flan, everything coming up and the whole lot, you know. Yeah. 
happening everywhere I know, but it's fucking getting bad right here, you know. I don't end up the street. I hear the news already, but nothing. Yeah. What do you think of it? Well, well what do you think? Yeah. You're frightening. You can't open your mouth anyway, can you? Why you'd be afraid to? <laughs> well, you look yourself and you know. Yeah, it was a shock. Like, I was walking the night shift. I just woke up, basically. I basically woke up at half six in the evening and heard about it, you know. And mm. came to walk there and seen the guy who was still there. It's just crazy. Like, it's just, I don't know, lawless. You know? That hour of the day here, busy area. Yeah, like, it? yeah, anyone. I believe it was the wrong person or something they said, you know. Like, yeah. anyone shot, you know. Well, I suppose Sinton, what's going on in town at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh I suppose just uh, when it's done so openly that you don't know, you kind of hope the guards will try to get a bit more control about things. Mm. And given that it happened pretty much where we're standing, mm. would you be concerned this morning about your own safety? No, I wouldn't be concerned about my own safety at the moment. Yeah. But, um, but like, no, that wouldn't concern me at the moment. But, but it's worrying though that they've they don't see anything wrong but coming in the middle of half four on the on a Thursday letting off five or six rounds where people are a very busy shop and a lot of people walking around the paths and that and you know it doesn't seem to bother them that they're going to be noticed there's cameras here there and everywhere and so that doesn't seem to worry them so I mean so from that point of view they don't seem to the people who do it don't seem to have any uh, any worries about being caught or or if they are caught it doesn't seem to bother them what the consequences are so that'd be worrying that's worrying but it wouldn't be worrying for my safety anyway and our thanks to those people for taking time out to speak to us in Hardman's Gardens in Drogheda where that shooting occurred yesterday Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. And lots coming in, particularly in relation to that shooting in Drogheda yesterday. A rather strong text in from a listener who says that the Gardaí in Drogheda seem to be fighting a losing battle against those behind the feud. One way to stop this is for the Gardaí to move into a state that the violence is originating from, get search warrants, search every premises in the estate if they have to, every car every van etc. Go in heavy handed with search dogs and in riot gear if they have to. Get the message across arrest those for minor offences, up to no tax no insurance, drug possession etc. Have a special court sitting and bang them up. Take no crap from them. Use moderate force if needed to. Um, the Gardaí are the protectors of the people of Drogheda and they need to go out and reclaim the streets of Drogheda. Okay, well there's a a lot to be concerned about as we heard uh, from the superintendent. Uh, They're applying all of their resources to this ongoing feud. Charlie from Navin says he was listening to the programme yesterday and you asked about society changing and why has it changed and he says we should be asking ourselves this today in light of what happened yesterday. He feels that people are not doing their jobs, it's as simple as that. 
you have a population, a large population in Drogheda. They're represented by five TDs in the in the county and numerous councillors. Drogheda deserves better. It's a beautiful town with very nice people, but what is going on is very frightening. Indeed, I was asking that following that aggravated burglary that we heard about, uh, which involved two elderly people and some weapons, and uh, a couple in their 80s ended up in a hospital after being tied up. As you've been hearing, uh, there's been a, another raid of uh, that sort and uh, Ruth O'Connell joins us from uh, the newsroom. Uh, this is a particularly worrying development because we had heard uh, that uh, the two who were involved in uh, the attack on Tuesday night or the bur- aggravated burglary as it was on Tuesday night uh, may have been involved in other such incidents uh, and uh, there were two intruders in this particular story that we're hearing about this morning as and well. And they also had their faces covered. The only difference between this and the one on in Black Rock on Tuesday night was uh, the Black Rock uh, aggravated burglary. A hammer, a hatchet and a knife were, were left at the scene which the intruders had. There were no weapons produced in this case. But it, again, uh, people were um, basically locked up uh, while they made their escape. In, in, last, in yesterday evening's uh, incident, there was an elderly woman just came upon them, disturbed them in her home in a bedroom um, and then she was pushed by one of the intruders onto a couch while the other ransacked the house and mm. uh, found jewellery and then they locked her up in the bathroom and her husband had left and he came back two hours later and discovered mm. and people were scene. It doesn't bear thinking about. Oh absolutely, terribly traumatic and people were terribly alarmed by what happened and how it had happened as uh, such an early hour in the evening at uh, quarter past eight I think it was on Tuesday evening this one yeah. yesterday Even was at earlier. five o'clock in the evening I mean I personally mm. would have been in the vicinity and I saw nothing untoward mm. um, going on and it's it's a very busy road uh, for anyone familiar with Dundalk St Alphonsus Road uh, is the same road that the Redemptorist Church is on that County Hall is on that you have uh, the Millennium Buildings where the government buildings are on as well it's very heavily trafficked it's a link road down to the Avenue Road there's the Marsha Shop centre in the in the general area as well there would be quite a lot of traffic mm. in this vicinity and yet this that didn't stop these two going into this house and um, carrying out the break in um, it does certainly suggest that they knew which houses to tar- which house to target in this case and again with Black Rock and in previous incidents I know in the, mm. there were other burglaries where a knife may have been produced rather than the hatchet and the hammer mm. um, from the other day uh, and imprisoned as such locked in her own bathroom yeah that's false imprisonment yeah mm. yeah, yeah. yeah two hours I, I, I mean, I can't imagine what the husband, mm. you know, the, imagine just walking back into your, your home and um, expecting to, your wife to be mm. there and then discovering she, she, she was trapped up in the bathroom that they'd locked her in. Now, I understand she was offered hospital treatment and uh, declined, um, and, but she, she's shaken and, and has bruises on her hands from, okay. from the uh, well, ordeal. Uh, as we heard yesterday, there's a, a lot of concern and uh, hopefully uh, people who are concerned or who have information now will pass that information on to Absolutely. the Garda as well. And mm. I think again mm. just to reiterate that if anyone does have information if they could contact Dundalk Garda Station any Garda Station or the Garda Confidential Line 1800 666 one. Thanks very much Ruth O'Connell uh, let's go back uh, to some more of your calls. What else have you got for us there Marie? James from Drogheda was in touch just in relation to the shooting and James says that the dogs in the street knew that this shooting was imminent. People were prepared for Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another attack. If you spoke to people on the streets or in pubs, that's what everybody was talking about. And it appears now that the petrol bomb attack in Moneymore last night was also linked. He's just wondering, why is this being allowed to go on when everybody knows it's about to happen? That why can't the Gardaí and the courts do more to take these people off the streets? Yeah, well, I don't know. Margaret phoned in and Margaret says that she's just shocked, Michael, about what is happening in Drogheda, that she's lived in the town all her life and that people are afraid. She says she just wonders where it will all end and is fearful for where it will all end. She says, listening to your interview with the superintendent, it really brought it home how lucky we are in Drogheda today that nobody was killed. And how lucky we are that it wasn't somebody that was innocent that just happened to be caught up in it. When you hear about mm. shots being fired across the road, it's like something you would see in a movie, she said. Yeah, and uh, we aren't living in uh, downtown uh, Detroit or, or the Bronx in New York, as uh, the case may be. Small Irish town and gangsters walking the streets, firing indiscriminately in uh, the way that we've almost become accustomed to at uh, this stage. Hold that thought for a moment. Uh, we'll be hearing a lot more about uh, what happened yesterday and uh, the ongoing threat that there is uh, to people living locally in a few moments' time. But let's uh, reflect on uh, the life and indeed uh, the loss of uh, somebody who is uh, important I'm sure in the minds of many people who are are mourning the death of uh, Senator Fergal Quinn uh, the man who they say is uh, responsible for customer service and uh, the supermarket industry and indeed the promotion of good customer service in this country. He was also a politician obviously and a Democrat and a few years ago he came in here and uh, one of the conversations we had was about democracy and as to whether we needed a Shannon or not. We've got to have a reformed Shannon. And there is a, ref- a Shannon bill that Catherine Pone and myself put through. It's been, and John Crown has put a similar bill through, which gives votes to everybody on the island of Ireland. But, I imagine that Sinn Féin... But, but your would, bill allows for the cash cow to continue. No, no. We, we've made a number of changes in our bill. Mm. And one of them is everybody should have a vote. Everybody on the island of Ireland should yes. have a vote. Everybody with an Irish passport but, to current would, should have a vote. But every senator should continue to claim expenses. 
Well, one senator last year claiming €46,000 in expenses well, to go to work. We could, That's we, a cash cap. We can easily, That's what you're proposing continues. No, we can easily change those. They can be changed by law. We don't have to do anything. We can change by, by statute without, without having to... But I thought that's what your bill addressed. That's what a no, bill is. It's a change in legislation. Our bill says that they, the senators should be paid 50% of what the Dáil deputies are paid. So we recognise that that is so. Hmm. Uh, and... I believe that that sort of legislation and that sort of uh, decision making will strengthen the the the, um, but the that, at no end. That, that you uh, have a reduced salary, but you continue to claim miscellaneous expenses. In other words, money for nothing. Well, then that you get a phone expense and then you get a mobile phone well, let's, expense let's and then change, you get a travel let's, expense. You, let's yeah. change that if it's not suitable, if it's not wanted. And I agree entirely with you that if there are some cases like that, we should change it. But I don't think that the cost is is the major item here. The major item I think we have is to make sure that we get strong legislation, we get sensible legislation. And let me just take the example. I've introduced seven different bills in. One of them became a law just last month, um, and that's the Construction Contracts Bill. Another number of pieces of legislation that I introduced, Now I'm just talking about myself, everybody else can do the same um, and say what, what they've introduced. I introduced a ban on passports for sale. Now, it didn't become law, that bill didn't become law, but the Minister said, what a good idea, I'll accept hmm. it, but I want to add some other things to it. But I'd why couldn't you do that as a TD? I know that you're not intending to run as I'm, a, a I'm, Senator next time around, uh, but the, the, if you talk about a politician introducing legislation like that, if a, a Senator feels that they have something to offer, why can't they run for the doll? The doll could have done it, but nobody did it in the doll. Nobody but did that. That's just coincidental, is it not? It's no. just that you happen to be a Senator rather than a TD. I'm not just happen to be a senator. I, I, I believe that having independent members uh, of the channel... I have a bill coming through this coming week, which is the upward-only rent, a ban upward-only rents. It's coming through on a Wednesday, and it, the government went in, Fine, Fine Gael and Labour went into uh, their election saying, if we are elected, we'll introduce a ban on upward-only rents. And what happened? When they got in, they changed their mind. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. Now, I've introduced this bill. I believe that the members of Fingal and the members of, of Labour should support it. Uh, very passionate uh, Fergal Quinn at uh, the time he passed away, 82 years of age, as was announced at lunchtime yesterday. May he rest in peace. Marie, what else have you got for us there? Well, Michael, during your discussion yesterday with our political editor, Eileen Brophy, on the elections, you mentioned the P word. And no, not politician. What do you think it was? Oh, I would say it was putrid. <laughs> Posters. Yes, that's what I said. Is that not what I said? Trees are from Johnston. Johnston town was in touch and she's disgusted at the amount of posters in her area. She says the committee work very hard at keeping the area nice and it's just ruining the village. We know who these politicians are. We don't need posters to remind us, she says. Tommy got in touch and Tommy says, some of the posters Michael are too low on West Street in Drogheda. So much so that I nearly got my head taken off by one. So there you go. (laughs) We'll finish on that. Thanks for that and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now we've already heard from uh, quite a number of residents in uh, the Hardiman's Gardens area of uh, Drogheda where a very serious shooting took place yesterday afternoon at 
around a quarter past four in the middle of the day in broad daylight a gunman standing in the middle of the road firing indiscriminately a volley of shots seven or eight shots uh, shot one man in the arm and shoulder and quite a number of other people as we've been hearing are lucky to be alive who ducked for cover and are only alive quite possibly as a result of all of that. Let's hear from some other residents in Drogheda. Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash is in the studio. What do you think of what happened? It's an outrage, an absolute outrage. Um, I've been on this programme far too many times um, commenting on what's happening in this town over the last few months. Um, I was actually canvassing up in Highlands with Annie Hoy yesterday and I told you off air, um, I left the estate at about, just, just probably about 10 minutes after the incident occurred. I was actually on the phone to a friend of mine who witnessed what happened um, and I put the pieces together and subsequently found that a car was burned out in the sheep house area so that's where the guards were obviously heading. Um, I've never um, experienced the kind of fear that's stalking the streets of Drogheda um, like this Michael. Um, I'm 43 years of age, I've lived here all my life. I live about 500 yards from where this incident took place. My office is a similar distance. I was born and reared less than a mile away from where the incident took place. Um, Many, many people I know witnessed this yesterday, and if they didn't see it with their own eyes, they heard it. Um, One woman who contacted me, um, a friend of mine, had been leaving uh, the local doctor's surgery next door to the central shop and cowered behind a car and was effectively comforted by a man who was passed by and advised just to keep her head down. Uh, she's traumatised. Um, everybody I've spoken to about this is traumatised and it's the indiscriminate nature of it, I think, that ha- is really upsetting people and causing this anguish. I've said time and again, Michael, that it's only a matter of time before an innocent person is seriously injured or becomes a fatal victim of this ongoing feud. There's a small number of people involved. The guards are doing their best But my concern is that their best is not good enough because they continue to be under-resourced, undermanned and uh, and aren't getting the support that they require. superintendent said as much to us uh, himself uh, this morning. Uh, Another resident in Drogheda is Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, who's on the telephone. Good morning to you. Uh, What do you make of what happened yesterday? Oh, look, it's shocking, but it's it's not surprising. I mean, just... When you think about it, and I was listening to your report from interviewing people on the street earlier, it was, it was actually the brazen nature of the indiscriminate attack. It was just opening fire in the middle of the street, showing total disregard for life or innocent passerby, innocent passersby. But it's like they're attempting to instill fear throughout the entire town. But it's also they're also completely confident that they can carry out such an act in broad daylight in a heavily populated area with a constant stream of traffic and footfall and make good their getaway with no fear of getting caught. And for me, that's the scariest part of all of this. Mm. It's an incredibly busy part of uh, town. Uh, I'm sure an awful lot of people are are familiar with it particularly because of the shop. The shop is uh, a very busy shop, very popular shop. Uh, it's beside uh, the church there as well, beside uh, a school as well, just uh, around the corner. And uh, I suppose we should be thankful that the Easter holidays are uh, in place uh, because at that time of the day, otherwise there would have been a lot of children in the area. There would have been particularly coming, you know, quarter past four, um People were, children would be coming home from secondary school at that stage, you know, and that's just a main thoroughfare down and calling into the, the local shop there as well. It just, it beggars belief and it's 
it's a scary element, the fact that they literally felt confident they could carry out such an act in broad daylight, you know, and as I said, make good their getaway with no fear of getting caught. That's the scariest part. And it comes down to resources. It comes down to resources as things stand. Uh, and let's talk about where they're going from here, because I think it was clear listening to the superintendent this morning that there's not just this concern that everybody is aware of locally uh, and that normal people have about the release of an individual from prison. But there is concern, I think it's true to say, and certainly it was the way I heard the superintendent talk amongst members of Angarda Shia Khanna about this release and where this feud will go from here. How concerned are you, Jed Nash? Um, I'm, I'm concerned because I think myself, um, Imelda, uh, others have obviously a particular responsibility as public representatives and we need to use that responsibility wisely as well and not simply become or be commentators on what's evolving. I mean, we have a responsibility, albeit as opposition representatives, to uh, ensure that there is accountability. And I don't mean just accountability in terms of kind of political responsibility. I mean, providing a case, as I constantly am, to step up the resources that are required for members of Garda Shia not just to enable them to do the ordinary policing work that people expect them to be able to do, but to police this ongoing criminal feud and all the complexities that arise from that and to ensure as well that those who are engaged in investigating these crimes and those who are trying to manage the situation are protected as well. But when you uh, talk about this one yesterday, I mean, it's mad. The one in the M1 retail park was mad uh, and I'm not sure that we should be talking about a hierarchy of madness, but this one yesterday was probably even madder than the one in the M1 retail park because there was more people in a, a well, smaller space, well, so th- to th- speak. Th- that's right. One mm. guard I spoke to yesterday um, and I, I find myself being in practically daily contact with senior representatives and, and regular mm. members of Angarda Chicago, ordinary members of Angarda Chicago locally uh, about this when I'd rather be talking about community policing and the normal day-to-day work, positive work that uh, the guards do uh, in, in, in the area. It, it was the absolute indiscriminate nature of this. That uh, MAD was actually a word that was described by, mm. uh, to me, by, 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 used to describe this by one member of Angarda Chicago locally y- yesterday. I mean, I, I, I spoke in national media earlier on this morning uh, about the brazenness of this, about the indiscriminate nature of it, but about what needs to be done, and that's what we need to focus on here. I've said time and time again in this programme, Michael, that the kind of legislation that's in place to deal with gangland crime in this country, it's very, very robust by European standards, but it is rarely used. I've received parliamentary question replies over the last few months because of my interest in dealing with this, looking at the numbers of people who have actually been taken off the streets Mm. and convicted and banged up uh, for engaging in organised crime in this country. It's very, very few. A lot of people who are involved in this kind of activity end up being convicted on lesser charges, um, possession of guns and so on, but actually not uh, uh, the, the, the sweeping powers that are available, the powers that were introduced, for example, to deal with the threat caused to the state by the provisional IRA and that are used actually by the uh, guards to target the operations of the real IRA. Those kind of powers are rarely used. Right, it's striking that balance, isn't it, between... Uh, free democracy uh, and, I and, a, and a police state. I, I, I am the very first person to stand up for someone's civil liberties, oh, absolutely. but that needs to be yeah. balanced no, by and the I, of I, ordinary I, people I, I to think go there, about their lives but safely. I, I, I know, and I, I think that there is a, a sense of fear. In fact, there is undoubtedly a sense of fear. It's palpable. Uh, and people want something done. Uh, and 
I'm sure you know who the people involved in this are, Jed Nash. I'm sure Imelda Munster, you know who the people involved in this are. I'm sure the Gardaí know who the people involved in this are. I'm sure there's an awful lot of people listening to us this morning who watch them having a conversation on the internet about it, talking about whether they'll be able to walk or wear nappies uh, uh, and all of this other stuff, which uh, is like something out of, I don't know, a Hollywood movie, uh, whether that's a high-grade or low-grade movie, but people are very aware of who is involved in this. And as somebody said to me yesterday, if the guards know who is involved in this, why is it that they can't do something about it? What are your thoughts on that, Imelda Munster? Because I don't think anybody wants a police state, but people want some action. Well, that's, that's, that's the issue, Mike. And I had raised this with Minister Flanagan several times, you know, about the lack of resources, because the logical thing is, if, you know, I had said that we need the same resources as Limerick and parts of Dublin had gotten if we're to stamp this feud out once and for all. And if you had the resources, then you could carry out 24-hour surveillance. You could carry or you could tail the the key people involved. You could gather evidence. You could confiscate phones. You could do a proper, you know, surveillance 24-7 of them. But it's because of the lack of resources. And I also raised with Minister Flanagan and I asked him, was he waiting until some innocent passerby gets killed? Well, that nearly happened yesterday. Uh, And uh, if you look at what happened in in the wake of Veronica Guerin's killing, the guards were parked outside houses and they followed people 24-7. I had a meeting with um, the chief superintendent there not so long ago and it was just born out of pure frustration. I said, well, what? Why can't you sit outside? these houses. Why can't you be sitting there? It doesn't have the, the people. Sure, we, 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 we heard about it at the time of the M1. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, but at the time of the M1 shooting, there was one guarded car in the town. They don't have the resources. Well, that's, that's the issue, though. That's, but you see, the, the minister, as long as the minister continues to turn a blind eye to this, if we're ever going to stamp this out, and at this stage, you know, it quietened down over Christmas, and I remember thinking to myself, this is going to kick off again because it's just building and boiling there. Is it going to get I, worse with this release, do you think? I would, I would suspect so. Hopefully not, but I would suspect so. And you see, the thing is, a lot of them understand that the Gardaí are under-resourced. And they know, as I said, they carried out that yesterday in full confidence that they get away. Um, you know, and mm. nothing had happened. That that'd be just mm, I think the guards were there in four minutes, but, ironically yeah, enough, yesterday. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, at the same time, they're still carrying out these acts in broad daylight and they're still not apprehended. And until such time as the resources are put in place, that's not going to happen. And that's what needs to happen. Look at the, you know, the, when the resources yeah. are put in place in parts of Dublin and Limerick. So I, I'm, I'm running over time uh, uh, and to a large degree, we're repeating what we've been saying over months. Uh, is Drogheda an appropriate place for the FLA? Oh, absolutely. We're not going to let these thugs... Um, take take anything away from Drogheda. You know, there's there's. Um, what if a tourist gets shot? A dozen or t- a dozen or two. What if a um, tourist people, gets shot? Well, they have the Gardaí have between now and then, and I'll certainly be on the minister's case morning, noon, and night. Mm. Um, and he's just lucky that there's no sitting this week because I tell you, I want to look him square okay. in the eye. Jed Nash, what if, what what if a tourist, uh, young Irish dancer, gets shot? Uh, um, never mind that. What what if a local resident gets shot? Well, it's always been my fear, Michael. I've said it time and again on this programme and elsewhere uh, in the channel repeatedly. Um, and it, it does. It's a question of resources. It's a, quest, it's a question of accountability. And I don't mean that in a narrow political sense. Uh, the Minister can't keep saying that Garda resources and the allocation of same are not his responsibility 
Well, on the other hand, he comes down to the Garda station in Drogheda, as he did last December, and promised senior Gardaí that they would get the resources that they require. They got them for a, small, a short period of time, and then those resources were reallocated elsewhere. What we need is permanent policing resources in this town. We need a very serious and heavy-handed crackdown on the activity that's ongoing at the moment. Uh, but the activities that are going on here in this town are not reflective of the reality of life in Drogheda mm. for, for most of us. It's, this it, is a great town, a mm. town I'm very, very proud of. I'm proud of it, because of, of it because of, for example, what we did in terms of the FLA collectively together last year and what we will do as well this year. This will be dealt with. This will end. It may very well be bloody. That's the very mm. unfortunate part of it. People will be locked up and people will be deprived of their liberty. And the sooner that happens, the better. OK, thank you both very much. Mike, of an overtime ban in the midst of a feud and the ludicrousy of no budget, you know, no extra budget, budget provision in the midst of this feud. That's, that's what we have to tackle, you know, okay. and that's what the minister and the government are responsible for. Okay. And whilst they continue with the overtime ban and they continue to, to not give the additional resources required, you know, this is going to be ongoing. So okay. the onus is on them to put the resources in, tackle it, have it dealt with, and let the people of Drogheda get back Okay. To, you know, living their lives. Okay, I, I, I have to leave it there because uh, we have to talk uh, about uh, a lack of resources or resources denied that possibly led to a suicide locally in a moment. Uh, but thank you both indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash in studio with us. Michael Reed on LMFM. A woman in Dundalk wants to know why her son died by suicide when he pleaded for help over two consecutive days in March. Sinead Brown has been telling me about her son Ian's experience with local health, mental health services before deciding to take his own life. Yes, that's the way I feel. And um, they say, like, he tried, you know, for the two days like full days all day trying to get help from everybody and anybody like he did family, friends um, GP, counsellor and then go to the unit you know and still he didn't get any help Mm. so there was nowhere else for him to turn obviously that's just what he done then in the end uh, a young person, uh, it seems a, a senseless loss of life, uh, very difficult to understand, uh, but uh, he had a, a history of depression, did he? Um, kind of on and off. Now, it's not that he was coming around, you know, what way would you put it? Like, any picture you see of him, always smiling, always happy. It was just, obviously, just that wee bit, you know, in his head, um but like that, even um, like he wasn't coming around taking drugs all the time, you know, this sort of thing, mm. which is probably kind of the way this could be portrayed. But um, um, no, he seemed to be happy enough, you know, but obviously not, you know. Just, mm. And he, 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 he lost his best friend and that obviously struck him. It did, yes. Uh, best friend for over 20 years and it just kind of I'd say it knocked him back a bit, you know, just uh, it was a bit of a shock, obviously, you know. Um, but um, he tried then to just obviously keep going and keep himself right, you know, and was looking for work and did a lot of courses. Did, you know, he tried to keep going, tried to keep active, but he just obviously got into the dark place and just 
couldn't get out of it, you know. Mm. And you mentioned two specific days. Uh, the first of them, I think, was the 12th of March when Ian came to you and said he was tired with life. Yeah, he sat me down at the kitchen table and just said he wanted to talk. He said that he was tired, um, not physically tired, but mentally tired. Um, he couldn't help people anymore um, and he couldn't please everybody um, I just think in kind of, I assume or I'm thinking that he kind of obviously knew a lot, you know, mm. of this going on, kind of, you know, that you can't get help, like, if you are feeling very low and you go to different places like that, your GP or your counsellor or, mm. you know, that the help is not there. Um and Ian was proactive in seeking help. He, he had gone to his GP, he'd been given prescribed drugs, uh, and he was seeing a counsellor, and uh, he went on to the hospital then. Yes, on the, on the Tuesday morning, the 12th, he told me what he, where he felt and what he was going to do. Um, he went into his dad then and told him the same. Um, he had started seeing a counsellor only in the last five weeks, Due to obviously just someone to talk to because of his mate dying, um, so then he was um, told about this place in rather than to go to to go through the A and E to go to it um, psychiatric unit to get help. So he decided to do that then to go there and go through the whole procedure and he would go himself. He didn't want anybody to go with him. He didn't want me to go with him or his dad to go with him. He was doing mm. himself. So he went there and went through the procedure for the whole day. Didn't get home till late that night and came in the door and just said it was a waste of time. He was handed a leaflet and told to come back in three weeks. And had they done a blood test or...? Yes, they'd done um, a urine test and they did right. say there was traces of benzos. Uh, and that's why they wouldn't see him? That's why they wouldn't, yes. Um, that facility is psychiatric only. They don't deal with anything like that. Um, so, as I say, I don't know. Just kind of looking up on things now, not knowing benzos. It can be anything to a sleeping tablet or whatever. There's obviously a lot of different things or whatever, mm. but obviously he did have something in the system. Maybe to relax then, I don't know. Um he sat here for a while talking Tuesday night and then he went to bed. I was still kind of looking up things at big ways. Then, right, what do you do? Where do you go? Who do you see? Um, he got up Wednesday morning very early, um, had a shower, um, and he left here. He said he was going to his GP. He was going to get a letter. As they say, when, when you're going to a hospital or present yourself anywhere, once you have your letter, like that yeah. somebody will see you and look after you and help and um, he went and got his referral letter which was very very you know stressed on it the, the way he was the way he felt you know it couldn't he, have been clearer uh, it couldn't have been any clearer you know what was put down on paper for part them. of the GP's letter was published uh, in an article by Kitty Holland in the Irish Times and the GP said in the article that he was very very worried uh, about Ian that he's actively suicidal and uh, that suicide is an imminent threat uh, yeah. he went on to say that they saw him the day before and didn't admit him because of the benzos in his system but the doctor said I feel this is more serious due to the degree of self-harm planning. Ian informs me that he, he planned to end his life yesterday. All planned, 
I would be grateful if you could reassess and admit him. So yeah. Ian went back to the psychiatric unit with this hospital, which to my reading couldn't be clearer. What happened then? Um, yeah, when he got the letter from his doctor, he actually went to the counsellor then again. He was with his dad at this stage, so the two of them had up three letters that go with him that day. Um, they went back up, he went through the whole procedure again. It's, you go to A&E, um, go through your procedure there, and then you're sent to this unit, um, and you wait there till after six o'clock, till there is a psychiatrist or a consultant to speak to you. Um, he went through, he gave a 12-page statement the day beforehand of how he felt and everything was wrote down um, on the Wednesday night. It was a different consultant that I saw. Um, they talked and the consultant kept asking, but why, but why, why do you want to kill yourself? And Ian kept saying the same answer back to him. And um, the end result of that was um, no to go away and come back. Again, in, in three, three weeks. weeks, yeah, three to six. Uh, and because there were traces of benzodiazepines in his system, they couldn't help him. From and the previous night, yeah. Then the following day, um, the worst day of your life, I'm sure, the last day yeah. of Ian's life. Actually, six weeks today. Yeah. Um. Well, when he came home that night, he walked in the door and he just said to me that it was an absolute waste, a waste of 48 hours. He could have had all that done on the Tuesday morning. He went through absolute torture for the two days. And again, he sat for a wee bit, then went up the stairs. I was still trying to, didn't know what to do. If you say who to call, what what do you do? Like if he's after going through all the steps of what to say to do, he did all that. And still nothing at the end of it. He was sent home. And um, he just lay on the bed. And the next morning then he was going about. And all the way I can put it now is very calm. And um, again, he was up. He was whistling up the stairs, came down, made a cup of tea, went back up the stairs, had a shower. And I went out for a walk. The dog went up to the shop, came back. And... Was here then, um, and he just asked me. Then was I not going to walk? And I just kind of looked at him, and as I say, he just looked very, very calm. For some, yeah. I'm kind of saying now, it, maybe that was strange, but in a way not strange because that's the way he kind of would have been. Um, so I left. Um, I did go up and walk. Um, I was speaking to him just before I went in, and he sounded even on the phone in good form. Yeah. You know, when I rang him down about something that I had left behind here and really kind of chatty on the phone, that was about 11 o'clock. Um, I uh, I tried ringing then a couple of times after that. His, tri- his dad was trying to get him a few times as well just to kind of, you know, keep in contact and keep kind of because of the two days beforehand, he was kind of out and in the vicinity, like in the hospital and then somewhere that he was seen he was with somebody or whatever but then he was here kind of on his own um, and then in the evening then um, his dad rang me and says I can't get him just couldn't get him on the phone so I just left and came down the road um, I came in the back door and his dog Luna was in the sitting room with the door closed which would be obviously very unusual 
I kind of coming home just had a feeling, but not knowing what to expect or say. Um, I came into the hall, my wee dog was there, and I just put my bag on the table and went up the stairs to see him, talk to him or say. And he was just hanging out of the attic on the landing. It was just so cold. Will you ever be able to understand it? Uh, I mean, uh, as I said earlier on, death by suicide is very difficult, if not impossible, for most of us to comprehend. But because he sought help and was so active about seeking help uh, and all of the efforts that he he took, uh, is it possible uh, to think that he would be alive had he been seen? I believe so. I really believe so. I said, even if Tata took him and just put him in the room, you know, not picked him for the night or whatever, but he was in the vicinity. Like, I kind of say, why did I even leave the house totally? And it says, like, just because they tell you they're going to do it doesn't mean they're not going to do it. You know, I could have sat here every day, you know, but, like, when was going to be the day? But I just feel that after what he went through on the Tuesday, to go through all that again on the Wednesday, to have you know, a letter with him to say and to state of what frame of mind he was in and then to be turned away again. Like, I don't know, you know. And time rolls on. Uh, I mean, the month's mind has passed. Uh, He was 25 when uh, he passed. Uh, His birthday would have been this week and uh, there's no going back. It was a a very permanent decision that he made, um, but uh, one that you'll never understand, I take it, Sinead. I know, yeah, it is hard to understand and all I can say is he just, he didn't want me to be mad with him or angry with him, um, but he just wanted to end the pain. But I think, I believe that Ian tried just to get help and maybe if somebody had listened or done something for him, you know, it could have been all so different now. And you're talking to many. You're talking you know. to us today on behalf of Ian uh, yeah. to a, a large respect, but also uh, because of your concern for other people uh, and that they will get treatment and that this policy uh, of not seeing somebody uh, in the psychiatric unit if uh, there's drugs in the system would uh, change. Yes, and that's what I feel. And I think maybe Ian did too. Like, you know, he left so much behind. He, he emailed to the HRC as well, you know, on the Thursday um, to say what he went through for the two days beforehand and that nobody would help him. Um, on the day that he died? On the day that he died, he emailed him to say what he went through and that was the last that was on his phone. Um, it just it really has to change. Like, Ian was failed, as I say, so many has been failed and if it stays like that, uh, you know, where does it stop? It, something has to be done. Something really has to be done. Sinead Brown speaking about uh, the loss of her son, Ian Brown, in March of this year. Ian's grandfather is Fra Brown. The HSE procedure is, um, uh, if you have issues that Ian had, you would seek help by way of speak to somebody, family, friend, uh, a a, a GP. From what Sinead was saying, he was crying out for help. Absolutely, absolutely. So the patient was ignored in this instance from what I can see and what evidence is there. And not only that, the clinician, the, 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 his, his, his practicing uh, GP, very, very strong level, 
which states specifically on the letter that the, the chap uh, uh, was suicided with him and was an imminent threat. And whilst there may be issues, he said uh, not to let him home. That's on that GP's mm. letter. In black to, and white. Uh, mm. to the in, in black and white cases, etc., etc. Now, both of those uh, two pieces there have been ignored. Um, very unprofessionally. I don't know why. Um, if you're not going to accept it, to say that if you want to get to a consultant to get to anybody, you must have your referral letter, or you won't get in the door. He had all of that, complained with all of that. It must have been terribly, horribly frustrating to go through two full days of that mm. to deal and to be given a little leaflet to go home and go back in three weeks. Very hard but, for you and Sinead and for the whole family not to be angry. Well. Um, the system failed, it's broken, and uh, what Sinead was saying was that, look, what she's trying to do is to highlight this and say, don't let this happen again. Um, this should not be the case. There's the evidence. It was ignored um, for whatever reason. Somebody, the questions have to be answered. Fra Brown, his daughter Sinead Brown, both speaking about uh, the loss of 25-year-old Ian Brown, Sinead's son, who would have been 26 this week. Michael Reed on LMFM. Hard to believe, but it's a while since we've spoken about Brexit. We'll do so now because uh, the Union of Students in Ireland has launched a position paper on the British exit from the European Union. USI is calling for access to education to be protected, for cross-border mobility for students and staff to be ensured, and that the government acts to end xenophobia and racism while the negotiations continue. Damien McLean is USI's Vice President for Welfare. He's on the line. Good morning to you, Damien, and uh, thanks for joining us. Tell us a, a little bit more uh, about the USI position on Brexit. Uh, thanks for having me on. So I suppose our position is that what we're hearing from students is that students are worried about Brexit, and when it comes to a Brexit strategy, there seems to be very little in consideration to students when it comes to how we're going to prepare for the fallout of Brexit. Um, the students especially who are studying in IT near the border, they're worried about what, an, what a hard border might mean, if there will be a hard border, how education will be affected. So if students want to study in the north or students in the north want to study in the south, what that will mean for their education. So there's just a lot of uncertainty mm. and we're calling on the government to add a bit of clarity to this. The most curious part of your statement, I, I think, relates to xenophobia and racism. Are you hearing from students who were born in the United Kingdom and are studying here who feel uh, that people are acting in a prejudicial way against them? I wouldn't say in a prejudicial way, but we do have a lot of students who are foreign-born that are very worried about it. Like, we have to remember that when it came to the vote on Brexit, that it was a very close call, that it was just over 50% in favour, which meant that there were a lot of people against it. And I think that it can be difficult for students who definitely support joining the EU and support links with Ireland and see Ireland as such a close neighbour that they may be judged as somebody who voted for Brexit and that can be quite difficult for them. But you're seeing an increase on and off campus, you say, in the number of complaints about xenophobia. Absolutely. I think people are maybe making assumptions of what a Brexit vote means or what being an English citizen means. And especially when we come to the border counties, I'm from Loud, I'm from RD, and the the age of students at the minute, like the the Good Friday Agreement was 25 years ago. There's a lot of students who don't
remember what it's like to have a hard border and what it is like to live with a border right beside them. And I think there's a lot of worries about what that could mean, that we have a lot of relations with the North and like we've been passing in peace relations. Mm. But we're real, uh, I suppose students are just worried that they haven't lived in a time with a hard border. They don't know what that actually means. Indeed, I imagine it's uh, the case for the vast majority of students outside of mature mm-hmm. students. P- probably the case for yourself, Damien. Uh, you uh, seem uh, like a, a young enough person, uh, too young to remember the troubles, uh, whatever about the Good Friday mm-hmm. agreement. Are you uh, amazed at what we've seen in, in recent weeks? I wouldn't say amazed, I suppose it's, as it is to everybody, it's new to me. Um, what's new to me that may not be like, I have parents who are from the North, and I've heard, I've grown up with stories of what the troubles are like, what that entails, how difficult the time it was for people who were living in the 80s near the border and in Northern Ireland. But I suppose what, what my reaction is to the current state is that there's no clarity around what may happen in the next few months when it comes to our relations with Northern Ireland, what our relations would be with the UK. So I think I join the rest of the population, age regardless of this uncertainty. And would you feel that the Brexit threat could be a threat to the peace process? <laughs> I suppose when it comes to the uncertainty, that could come along. And I'm, I suppose a lot of programs that are for peace progress and across border that that is going to be difficult like that could be more difficult mm. if we have a hard border and there's a lot of great programs supported by the EU that lead to linking of communities and we would hope that they would continue mm. well i suppose the point is uh, that young people uh, won't remember crossing the border to be stopped by armed troops uh, and how that may be seen as an invitation to attack those who are securing the border Mm-hmm. Very different, well, I, very very different prospect for life on this island, isn't it? Yes, yes. But we hope that, like our call is on the government to act quickly. We have a position paper on all these ways that students could be affected, and we really do call on them to consider students in this coming time. Okay, Damien, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Damien McLean is uh, the Union of Students in Ireland's Vice President for Welfare and brings our programme to its conclusion today, indeed, for this week. Before we go, thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Marie in the control tower. Hope you have a a lovely weekend. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. Brought to you with Cartmac Cross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cartmac Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or cartmacrosscu.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.